Well, hey there, church. Want to welcome all of the Heritage family across the network. It was last week that we kicked off a series we're simply calling I Am, because Jesus repeatedly used I Am statements. And this conversation, which will take us all the way up and through Easter, is rooted in those statements. In fact, 24 times in the Gospel of John, he uses the terminology I Am. And in 17 of those times, there's context, context and follow-on behind it, but, but seven of those times are more absolute, where he just says, I am. And, and, and those words are translated from the two Greek words, ego, I, me. Ego, I, me. It is the first person singular present tense of the verb to be in the ancient Greek. And it literally means I exist, I happen, I am present. Now, when Jesus says this, he's not just declaring his being. He's not just declaring an existential statement. He is declaring his deity. He's saying, I am fully God, just as I am fully man. And last week, as we kicked off the conversation, we kind of settled into John chapter 8, because within John chapter 8, we see three of the seven absolute I am statements. Ego, I, me. And out of that conversation, we understood the simple reality that, that Jesus is. He is. Jesus simply is. He is then, he is now, and he is next. Jesus is then, now, and next. But, but that's not all he is. See, he also was and will be. Jesus was and is and will be. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's fantastic. The problem is when we only see him as one who was and will be and miss out on the reality that he is. See, we know that he came and he lived and died and rose again and we believe he's going to come back. But when we miss out on the fact that he is, well, now we end up living out of faith that is rooted in past and hope only, and we end up in a space where we struggle because it seems like he's irrelevant to the present, that he's, that he's irrelevant to the now, and we end up living in our own strength, we end up living in our own power, we struggle and wrestle in this life, even if we believe he was and will be, we end up struggling because we don't live in his power, we don't live in his strength because we don't recognize that he is. Was is and will be are all expressions of faith when we lean into them. But is is the context of relationship now. The fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again gives us access to God, pays a sin debt we couldn't pay. The reality that he's coming back, that he will come back one day, points to the promise of a destination that we can spend eternity with him. But we need to understand the reality that he is. So we've been asking ourselves the question, are we living in light of who he is? Not just was and will be, but is. If we're only looking at him as one who was and will be, it's not wrong, it's just incomplete. In some ways, it's a short-changed Jesus. It's not the fullness of who he is. And quite honestly, none of us ever want to be short-changed. <laughs> We don't like to be shortchanged. We always want a full portion in anything. Whether we go to the ATM and we get money out, we want the full portion of what we were supposed to have gotten. When we get change, we want to count the change, make sure we got what we were supposed to get. When we get a receipt from a restaurant, we review it to make sure we're not being shortchanged. We want a full portion. I have to tell you, one of the spaces that if I don't get a full portion, I'm frustrated, is when I order french fries. 
French fries. They come in a container. How hard is it to put enough fries in, shake them down and put more fries in so that they're all in there and then to carry it over in a way that they don't spill out onto the floor? I want a full portion of fries. I'll go to the bottom of the bag to get a full portion of fries. Get as many that are there. And if we're honest, we all want a full portion. But when it comes to Jesus, we can end up without a full portion when we don't understand that he was and he is and he will be. We can end up with a short-changed Jesus. And then we end up living a short-changed life because we're not following a full Jesus. It's a portion. It's not the full portion. Just a short-changed Jesus ends up leading us into living a short-changed life. Now, if we miss the reality of who he is, as one who was and is and is to come, if we don't understand that, that he is the bread of life, he is the light of the world, that he is the door, the good shepherd, that he is the vine, we miss out on the fact that he is I am, we miss out on the full portion, that he is ego I me. Jesus said he was 24 times in the Gospel of John. And every time he said it, he revealed a portion of who he was. He positioned us to understand him and to know him more fully. And he revealed the, the fact of his uniqueness as being God. His uniqueness as God. In fact, his uniqueness matters. Because catch this. The extraordinary in Jesus allows the exceptional in us. The extraordinary in Jesus allows the exceptional in us. The extraordinary things of, of Jesus, the extraordinary nature of Jesus create a space and a context for us to experience the exceptional in our lives. But we have to understand how that works. We need to know how to experience the fullness of that, how to get a full portion. And this series, the I Am series, is positioning us to do that, to know him fully. And he is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the I Am. And the extraordinary in his life allows the exceptional in ours. But you don't have to take my word for it. Let's, I actually want to get to what Jesus said about himself, what he said about this in particular. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to grab it and click or turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Chapter 14 of the book of John, fourth book of the New Testament. We were in chapter 8 last week. We're in chapter 14 this week. And we're intersecting in the life of Jesus where he and his disciples have just enjoyed the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was just a celebration where the people of God recognized the provision and protection of God as he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. And so the meal was a moment to recognize those realities and celebrate that. And Jesus and his disciples are hanging out after the meal where we're intersecting in this conversation. And what I want to do is just, I want us to pull up a seat alongside and listen in. It's a bit of a longer section of scripture we're going to look at, but I want to encourage you to listen to how Jesus describes himself. So let's take a look at this. This is John chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 1, get to verse 11, talk about a few things, and then later we'll hit verses 12 to 14. Check this out. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you, will also, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That, that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing, this, doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now, listen, anytime I read the things of Jesus, what he thinks he said, especially when he's hanging out with his disciples and unpacking deeper truth, there is always a lot of stuff to pull out of it. But the thing I find most astounding about what we just read is that in the midst of questions about who he is and where he is going, Jesus intentionally decides and chooses not to give answers, but to give himself as the answer. In a context of asking questions, Jesus doesn't give answers to those questions. He gives himself as the answer. Look back with me in verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He gives himself as the answer. That, that, that statement is significant. It is incredibly impactful. It's a radical statement. It's huge. It actually, it's ginormous. Ginormous. That's a fun word. Turn to somebody and say, it's ginormous. Go ahead, tell them. It's ginormous. That is a huge statement. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. But get this. It seems like the disciples don't understand it. That they don't get it. They miss it. And Philip actually goes on to ask for more proof in verse 8. Which is crazy to me. Having spent nearly three years together with Jesus. Seeing miraculous things. Experiencing miraculous things. Watching him incrementally and consistently Fulfill each and every of the 332 distinct prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus did that. He fulfilled every one of them. And in the midst of all of that, they ask for more. It had to be frustrating to Jesus. I actually think we see a bit of this in verse 9. Take a look at this. He says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, he's like, come on, dude. We've been hanging forever. Don't you know who I am? Listen, it is crazy to me that after all they had experienced and seen that the, that the disciples, it seems silly that they would be positioned to want or need more, to still need more, but they did. And I think often so do we. Where we, where we feel like we need more answers. Where we feel like we need a sign before we step. See, as I have believed in God and walked with him, there have been moments in my spiritual journey where he has felt distant, even kind of removed, even, even absent. There have been moments where I've been wanting to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And so I've asked for a sign. I've asked for a confirmation. I've asked for some leading that he's tracking where I'm at, especially if it's a hard season with challenging stuff. I've been, I've been in spaces like that where I've asked for an explanation. Like, like, why is this happening? Why have you allowed, where are you in the midst? Are you seeing what's happening in this space? As I have walked with him, there have been moments where I've asked 
for more. But the longer I have walked with him, the more I realize that rather than giving me answers, he most consistently wants to give me himself as the answer. And honestly, sometimes doesn't give the answer to my question until I'm okay with receiving him as the answer. I think he's doing that even here and now with the disciples. That sometimes we ask questions and we, we want to know a bit more, but he often wants us to be content with him as the answer before he gives us the answer to the questions that we want answered in our lives because he actually gives us the answers we need. He's doing that as he interacts with the disciples here. And, and, and we often ask God questions. We, we ask him for proof or a sign of, uh, of what's going on and how we're supposed to work and move and that. We ask him for insight into what's next. And listen, there's nothing wrong with asking him those questions. I'm not challenging that. I'm not indicting that at all. But there does come a point when we need to stop asking for more proof and stop asking for more signs and just step out in obedience. Step out in trust and love and fully obey, knowing that he is the only way, that, that there is no other way but him because he is the way, the truth, and the life, understanding that the extraordinary in him allows the exceptional in us no matter what we face. And I sometimes realize that people wait to step in obedience with him because they're wanting to make sure, they're wanting to remove any chance of, of is it true or not? They, they want that extra proof, which really moves us outside of faith, because faith is being sure what we hope for and what we don't see. But when we ask for, for proof, we kind of move past proof to convincing, and it's not really faith. But I understand sometimes we want a little bit more. We want to understand, really, is there a chance that this isn't quite the is, is there a chance that at the end it might be something else? I mean, honestly, the answer is really no, but there is a probability. There is a mathematical probability to the things that Jesus said about himself and who he was. In fact, I just want to take a look at that for a moment. Because when we start to look at the reality that Jesus fulfilled 332 distinct prophecies, that there is a mathematical probability that one man would be able to do that. And it's a huge number. It, it's, a, it's a big number. Are you ready to hear what that number is? Okay, it is one in 840 followed by 96 zeros. That's a big number. We, we know that a million is six zeros. We know that a billion is three zeros. 96 zeros, my friends? is an ultra-gentillion. The fact that one person would fulfill 332 distinct prophecies has a mathematical probability of one in 840 ultra-gentillions. Say that word with me. It's fun. Ultra-gentillions. It's huge. It's, an actual, it's just an incredible reality that the probability of this can be equated to a tornado ripping into a junkyard filled with cars and refrigerators and junk, spinning all that stuff up and spitting out a fully functioning 747 jumbo jet. That's this probability. One in 840 untragentillion. It's mind-blowing that Jesus would fulfill that probability. But he did. He did. He leaned into and fulfilled each and every one of them. And he's done even more amazing things. And as we continue to read in John 14, we're going to see he wants to do even greater things than us. He promises to do that. Listen, the extraordinary in who he is creates a space for us to experience the exceptional in our lives here and now today. I've seen it. I've seen prayers answered. I've seen people healed. I have seen weather change. I have seen lives transformed. I've seen miraculous provision out of nowhere. 
I, I have seen him move in, in exceptional ways out of his extraordinary realities in my personal life, and I've seen it happen across the Heritage family. Let me tell you, every time we gather together and somebody chooses to move from spiritual death to spiritual life by laying hold of Jesus as Savior and Lord, believing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that is the exceptional happening in a life out of the extraordinary of who he is. And I never get tired of it. Just in the last few weeks, we know of at least 19 people who have made that step from spiritual death to spiritual life, laying hold of him as the way, the truth, and the life. It's fantastic. It's untragentillion kind of stuff, my friends, and I never get tired of it. But listen, hang with me for a moment, because I realize some of you are like still, still a little bit of wondering, all right? Look, look, there's like more than 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, but about 60 of them some call major prophecies. They're, they're, they're just major. There's about 270 some that kind of talk about the ramifications and implications, but there's 60 that are considered major. These would be things like born in Bethlehem, that he would ride a donkey into Jerusalem, that he would be betrayed, that he would be betrayed for, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, which would ultimately buy a field, that he would be silent before his accusers, and he'd be crucified. Those, those are some of the major prophecies. So hang with me. If we just took eight of the 332, eight of the 60 major ones, the, the probability that one person would fulfill eight of those major prophecies is one in 100 followed by 15 zeros. That is one in 100 quadrillion. One in 100 quadrillion. It doesn't take a mathematician to realize that the odds are stacked against the probability of one man fulfilling 332 distinct prophecies by chance. But it didn't happen by chance. It happened by purpose. And Jesus did it. The extraordinary in him allows the exceptional in us. Let me give you one more handhold on just understanding 100 quadrillion. In his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell said that if we had 100 quadrillion silver dollars, if we had 100 quadrillion silver dollars, that would be enough silver dollars to cover the state of Texas in silver dollars two feet deep. That's a lot of coin. <laughs> 100 quadrillion silver dollars covering the state of Texas two feet deep. And if we took one of those coins and marked it specifically, placed it somewhere in the state, and then asked a blindfolded person to walk as long, as far, in whatever direction they wanted to walk in the state of Texas until at some point they reached down and pick up and dig around through the coins and pick up one particular silver dollar. The same chance that that person would have in picking up the marked silver dollar is the same probability of one man fulfilling eight, eight prophecies, one in 100 quadrillion. The extraordinary in Jesus creates a space for the exceptional in us. And it not just was and will be, it is now. Access to his power now. Access to his strength now so we can live in fullness now. It all hinges on how we handle the fact that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. How we respond to this fact, how we live in light of this reality matters. The, ex the extraordinary in his life allows the exceptional in us. There is no other way to God except through Jesus. Jesus is way, truth, and life. How are you living in light of that fact? It matters. Let's just talk for a moment a bit in understanding what it means that he is way, truth, and life. Because the way is Jesus, 
but it's Jesus alone. There is, there is no other way to God. It is not by good conduct. It is not by family tree. It is, it is only by Jesus that we can approach God. Any other approach is inadequate and even offensive to Jesus. Listen, not all roads lead to God. They do not. And it's not just, it's not just because I think so. It's because Jesus said so. When, when he says he is the way, he says, ego I me, the way. I am the way. He is not offering it as one option among many. He is saying, I am the way. And it is not simply a limitation. It is actually an invitation to come to him. To recognize him as the one who was and is and is to come. And to lean into relationship with him. There is no other way. The way is Jesus alone. One of the 12 disciples, one of the guys hanging around the table at this meal, later, much later, would say something that's captured in Acts 4. Here's what he said. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be what? Saved. Saved. The way is Jesus alone. There is no other way to come to God. There is no other name by which we are saved. Rescued from what was, rescued from what is, and positioned for what can be. There is no other name by which that is possible. It is not our family tree. It's not good conduct. It is not where we come from. It is only Jesus that allows that. He is the only way. When he says, no one comes to the Father except through me, he removes all uncertainty and all ambiguity. He is the only way. So to say that there is more than one way to God is really indirectly saying that Jesus is not telling the truth when he said this. That what Jesus said about himself was not true. But it was, and it is. In fact, he does nothing apart from truth because he is not only the way, the way Jesus is also truth. The way in Jesus, the way is Jesus, the truth. So he speaks truth, he functions in truth, he offers truth. We were, we were actually hanging in John chapter 8 last week, and we were looking at a couple verses. I want to go back into John 8 and look at verse 31 and 32 and into 36 because it speaks to the reality of truth. Just what Jesus said. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son, the truth, sets you free, you will be free indeed. The way is Jesus, the truth. We're free in him, free from addiction, free from brokenness, free from the constraints of spiritual death with the promise of spiritual life. But it's manifest in his power even today. Truth leads to freedom. A lack of truth leads to bondage. A lack of truth leads us stuck. A lack of truth leads us into complexity. But truth leads us to freedom. I actually ran into something of this in the last few weeks, just as a side note, that when we have a lack of truth, it creates complexity. And I've actually experienced some of that in my life recently because somebody out there in the world has decided to do an email phishing scam using my name. <laughs> actually created a fake email, which email phishing is creating a fake email to get personal information or to get somebody to do something. And over the last few weeks, for some reason, somebody has decided to use my name, not my email, but something that looks like my email, to contact members of the Heritage family and to ask them for information and to do things. To specifically, on one occasion, asking them to purchase Google Play gift cards. Which I want you to know, we don't do that. But I also want you to know, it's really frustrating that it happens. Because this person, it's actually theft. And this person, person is exploiting the trust and love we have 
The, the relationship I have to you, my spiritual influence and leadership authority and all of that, it's, it's really frustrating that it happens. But again, I just wanted to invite you to be really careful about requests you get an email from me or anybody else. But listen, if it's going to come from a Heritage team member, it's going to have heritageqc.com at the, at the back end. If it does not end this way, it's probably not from us, even if it has this information on the front. Just be careful in your email and interactions. That's a good, that's just good. There, there's your public service announcement for the day. There you go. Okay, just be careful. And I'm going to tell you, I, I will never be emailing you to ask you to buy Google Play gift cards. Reese's peanut butter eggs? Maybe. <laughs> but not Google gift cards. Because look, untruth creates complexity. Truth sets us free. And Jesus is the opposite of untruth. He, he is, he, there's nothing in him that is incomplete. He was, he is, he is to come. And he positions us to receive grace and truth. Back to the beginning of the book of John, chapter 1, verse 17, he says that Moses, through Moses we got the law, but grace and truth come through Christ Jesus. Jesus offers grace, full grace, not partial grace. The partial grace that we see in the Old Testament of people offering animal sacrifices to get right with God, we don't do that anymore because Jesus and his sacrifice is a f- full sacrifice, paying, paying the debt forever, and provides full grace. And out of that full grace, as the one who is truth, his truth sets us free. Free from any complexity. Free from, free from addiction. Free from the bondage that we get stuck in when we believe lies about ourselves or about him. The way is Jesus, who is the truth. And he sets us free. So he is the way, but he is also truth, and, and he is also life. Uh, the way is Jesus, the life. The, the word used here is actually zoe, and, and it speaks to absolute abundant life, not short-changed in any way. It's a full portion life. And, and John actually, back in that first chapter of John, actually says this about Jesus. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. He's talking about Jesus as life. Jesus himself in verse 8 says, or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The way is Jesus, the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's spiritual, spiritually alive now with the promise of life eternal. It is not just to come, it was and is and will be. The only way to God is through Jesus. It's through Jesus the person. It's not just through Jesus the principles that he taught or the truth that he offered. It is through Jesus the person, the one, the man who fulfilled 332 distinct prophecies, who lived into the untragentillion reality of that. He is extraordinary, and that extraordinary reality means we have the opportunity to step into the exceptional. And when he says, look, you believe in God, believe also in me. He is inviting us to experience the fullness of life in him. And because he is the way, the truth, and the life, it has specific realities for us. Because he is the way. Being the way means the impossible in our life is possible. The extraordinary him allows the exceptional in us. We can be made right with God. Because he is the truth. We don't have to live in bondage. We don't have to live stuck. We can live in freedom. Because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And the fact that he is the life, then whatever darkness or complexity or trouble we bump into in this life can actually be covered in his light, in his freedom, and in his life now and not just later. That's the wonderful reality that he is way, truth, and life. But hear me, there's more. There actually is more. Look with me back in, in John 14, verse 12 and into 14. 
Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is incredible. Jesus not only identifies what we get to do, he actually introduces a new privilege to his disciples at this moment. The ability to ask in his name. Not the name of someone else in an email phishing scheme. His name. His name. And it's not just a format thing. It's not where you're just like, blah, 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 in Jesus' name, hoping that we get something that we want. That's not how this works. When we step into a relationship with God through Jesus, when we submit to his authority, we chase after him, he wants relationship. He hears us when we talk to him. When we ask of him, he responds. And we have the ability to ask in his name, which is in his power, which is in his glory. It's, that stuff is found in his name. It's living in his power today and tomorrow as we, as we live into the authority of his name, no matter what we face. It's a wonderful thing. But hear me, it's conditional. It's available, but there's a, there's a way to, to experience, a way to receive it. See, if we were to continue to read the rest of John 14, we'll actually see Jesus connect two things very clearly. It's love and obedience. He, he does it in five specific verses where he just talks about love and obedience being connected. They're inseparable. In, in fact, in verse 15, he says, you love me if you keep my commands. In verse 21, he says, he who has and keeps my commands loves me. My father will love them and I will show myself to them. In verse 23, he says, he who obeys my commands loves me. And in verse 24, he says, whoever doesn't obey my commands doesn't love me. What he's doing is he's connecting love and obedience very specifically. And this is actually something we looked at before as a church. It's a good review if you remember it. If not, you need to understand how this works to really engage the I am fully. Love and obedience are connected. They're not separate. They can never be separated in a relationship with God. It's really a hard issue. But when we love, we obey. And as we obey, we demonstrate love back. The deal is we often think it's a straight line connection and we can struggle. Like I want to, I want to do stuff, but I just can't get there. I love and I try, but I just can't. Okay, the reality is it's not a straight line connection. It actually involves two other things. It involves what we know and where we trust. Here's how this works. When we know Jesus, well, then we love him. He himself is love. He loves us. When we know him, we love him. There's no way around that. When we know him, we will love him. And scripture tells us that when we love, the scripture says love always trusts. So when we love, we trust. Out of love, we demonstrate trust. From that position of trust, then we step in full obedience. We don't wait. We don't keep asking for signs and proof. We step in obedience. Out of love leads to trust. Trust leads to obedience. And what Jesus said in verse 21 in John 14, he says, then I will show myself to you. But now he shows us more of who he is so we know him more. And we know him more. We love him more. We love him more. We trust him more. We obey him more. Then we see more of who he is. This is an unending cycle of, of falling more deeply in love with the I am, with experiencing his power and understanding him at greater levels. And it continues unending until we stop obeying. When we stop obeying, it means we don't trust. When we don't trust, it means we don't really love. And when we don't love, it means we don't really know him. But we need to know him. We need to know him who is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we live in love and obedience, that's when we experience his power in this life. That's when we experience greater things than even he did. And it's in his name that we ask in confidence. Because of who he is. 
the way, the truth, and the life. Look, Jesus modeled this. He, he loved and obeyed the Father. Did it. Now, he didn't do anything apart from the Father, and he calls us to do the same. But when it comes to following Jesus, when, when it comes to following the I am, we can end up with an incomplete reality. We, we can end up shortchanging us and him in the dynamic. We, we get that he came, that he, he lived, he died, he rose again, that he was to make a way for us. We, we get that. We want to be able to have that way to God. And we, by faith, believe that he will come back and we have the promise of life, life eternal. We understand that. Where we struggle is here in the middle. We struggle with living in the present and the now reality of Jesus. And we struggle even with truth. Because truth is hard. Truth sometimes hurts. The, the truth that we are sinners and fall short and we need a Savior, sometimes we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear we're not good enough. We don't want to hear that we need somebody else. We don't want to hear that we need to submit to his authority, that what he says about us is true and that he gets to rule and reign. We can, we can chafe against truth. We can even struggle with the truth that when he says, in this world you will have trouble. We, we can struggle against the, the idea that the, though the world hate him, they're going to hate us. We, we struggle with truth. And when we struggle with truth, it can actually position us to really want to pick an a la carte Jesus. To say, you know what, I'll, I'll take the was and the way component and the life and the will be. But hold the truth. Go light on the truth. <laughs> let's, just, let's just do a la carte way and life and we'll be good and, and kind of walk through this. Because the, the truth is hard. And the truth requires me to submit and, re and release authority. But if we don't understand truth, we're living incomplete. It's a short-changed Jesus. And I, my friends, don't listen. Don't live a short-changed life because you're following a short-changed Jesus. He, he was, he is, and he will be. We need to know the truth because the truth sets us free. And when we understand the realities that I'm talking about, we can, when we actually know who, we, who he is out of who he was, when we know him, then we can more fully understand that we are loved by him and we can love him in return. And out of that love, we, we walk in a posture of trust, not only in what is, but what will be. And we stop asking for more signs, we stop asking for more proof, and we simply step in obedience now. And as we do that, we know him and love him and trust him and obey him. If we, if we don't love and don't obey, we can't expect to ask and receive. But when we love and obey out of knowing and trusting, this is the context by which we live in the full power of Jesus now. As the one who was and is and is to come. He is way and truth and life. We need the truth. In fact, that's your last feeling if you're still tracking in your note guide. That we need to know the truth. In order to, to love and trust and obey, we, we have to lean into knowing him. When we know him, we can step into our next. When we know him, we can access a relationship with God. Without Jesus, we can't get to God. We can't have a relationship with him. When he says, just as you, you believe in God, believe in me. That's an opportunity for us to submit, to submit to the truth he offers in our life. Uh, no matter how uncomfortable the truth is of what's not right in our life, it's worth stepping into a posture of submission in his, with him. When we submit ourselves to him, we're saying, we're saying, I give you all that I am. I love you, Jesus, and I give you all that I am. Because quite honestly, he's sitting there going, I love you and I want you to have all of me. Don't get a short-changed, all-a-carte thing of me. Take all of me. But that requires us to submit. And if you've made that decision before, maybe you're just going to reaffirm it today and celebrate that you're positioned to give Jesus all that you are so you can experience all that he is. But if you've not stepped into a relationship with God through Jesus, then 
That's your opportunity to do that today. On the back of the note guide are some instructions and a prayer where you can actually step into relationship with God through Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life today. And you can begin to experience the fullness of who he is. But again, my friends, don't live a short-changed life because you're following a short-changed Jesus. He was and is and is to come. Live in light of who he is. The fullness as the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. But that means we love and obey. And as we do, we experience the fullness of who he, who he is now. When, when Jesus left the dinner table, he, was, he went off to the garden. He would eventually go on to the cross. All of that was an expression of love and obedience to the Father. There wasn't anything he did that wasn't at the direction of the Father. And he did it out of a posture of knowing, loving, trusting, and obeying. And God worked in and moved and through all of that, even all the way to the cross. That was a demonstration of love and obedience. And he calls us to that same level of faithfulness, that, la- that same level of obedience to God. He, he invites us into that same standard of loving and obeying. Listen, I think the thing I want to put before you is trying to figure out what you're doing and living in light of the fact that he is the way, the truth, and the life. If, if you don't love and you don't obey, then you can't expect to ask and receive. But if you do love and you do obey, then you'll demonstrate it in trust. You'll lean into deeper knowing that he was and is and is to come so that he has way, truth, and life matters now. It matters now. So my question is, what's your next do you need to trust something? You need some place that you've been asking for more signs and proof and you just need to step out and trust and obey? Do you need to lean into relationship and know him because you, you actually just need to receive Jesus as savior, as way, truth, and life so that you can know and then walk the rest of this journey? If you're someone who's done that, maybe just celebrating the reality today. Maybe you're actually confessing you haven't lived into this fully. Or, or maybe God's prompting you to invite somebody to join you this Easter to experience Jesus as way, truth, and life. You, you have a next in this dynamic. Because he not only was and will be, he is. And as we know, love, trust, and obey, we experience the fullness of his extraordinary realities and the exceptional things he wants to do in our lives. But we have to step in obedience. We have to step in the fullness of that. So what's your next into living into that fuller love and obedience in your life? You've got one. My hope and prayer is that you will step fully into that, knowing that he is way, truth, and life now because he was and is and is to come. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you have made a way. Jesus, I thank you that you are the way, that you are the truth and you are the life. Lord, I pray that, that we would not just come before you with the, seeking the answers we want, but we would be willing to receive the answers we need. And quite honestly, that answer starts with you, Jesus. So I pray that as we process this conversation and what you have said about yourself as the I am, that we would be able to to walk in the fullness that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That we would recognize that, that you're not just past and future, you are present. And there is reality for us to love and obey even now as we trust out of our knowing who you are. So continue to reveal yourself to us. May we be satisfied with you as the answer more than the answers we seek. And may you continue to lead us into the fullness of life that you call us to, that abundant life, because you are the I am, the way, the truth, and the life. We pray this in your name, and everybody said, amen.